0: We're continuing our series, Forgotten Books. doesn't mean they're unimportant. They're just small with great prophetic messages. Today we find ourselves in the scripture there. We want to go uh, left of Matthew. So if you're over in the New Testament, begin to go left a few books. There's a book called Micah. Micah's got a couple of verses that everybody's familiar with, and we'll talk about those as we go through the study this morning. Micah. He was a contemporary of the great prophet Isaiah that had a big book of about 60 chapters. <coughs> doesn't mean that he was more important or less important than Isaiah. His writing was incredibly significant because it was from God. As I've been studying Micah just hours and hours and hours, I, really there's a little known about this little prophet, but his message we know about. It. He was down there in Judah's fertile hills about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. And he, um, there was a lot of uh, unrest politically in the region. There was a lot of corruption in the camp. Does that sound like anybody you've ever heard of, any nation you've ever heard of? Yeah, It's amazing when you read these old prophets about what people did. You know, the scripture says there's nothing new under the sun. So sin and corruption is nothing new. And the people were like, well, we could just like, throw out sacrifices and like give stuff to God, but we could just live like we want to. And God's like, no, I'm not going to have any part of that. That's, that's not who I am. That's not my plan for man. And uh, so we'll see how it goes for him. <coughs> Micah was maybe like the prophet Amos. He was uh, maybe a small farmer cattleman. We we're not exactly sure, but he uh, was here in this area, and the kingdom gets divided. There's Israel, the northern kingdom, in the southern kingdom, what's it called? It starts with a J. Judah. So there's Israel and there's Judah. There's a divided kingdom. <clears throat> it's very important that we know that. And these are like centers in that region for worship. Now, not always good worship, but there was worship going on. And there was temple and there were priests. And some of the priests were corrupt. And, and the kings and rulers and politicians, and they were corrupt. And a lot of the people were corrupt. And, I mean, and, and Micah's like, man, God, God's not honored about this. He says... God's message is for kingdom living. I just get you to write on your notes because today I don't even have any fill-ins. I don't think I've ever done that. Just write in there, kingdom living is what God wants. Bottom line, you walk out here today like, what did he talk about? He talked about Micah. He preached on Micah. But God wants me to be a kingdom person. He wants me to live for the kingdom. Kingdom living. Moral living. Ethical living. A lot of times uh, we might pass a law and it might be legal, but it's not morally right. Or as we go through our moral code and kind of, we have a moral code, we go, man, that, that violates my conscience. That violates what God has for me. And we begin to, to do that, to deal with it. But uh, Micah's message is, is a message of judgment. And, and i got to tell you, this is hard preaching through this summer because I like joy and I like to spit and foam. I don't want foam. That sounds like demonic. But I like to scream and dance and, and uh, accelerate my life and, and, and raise my voice and lower my voice and tell stories and preach the gospel and all and Those are great. But <coughs> God's got us in a series and I'm still kind of asking God, like God, why don't you have me preaching through the minor prophets? I mean, isn't there something else? He's like, yeah, the minor prophets. They're my word. He's like, when's the last time you preached on I went, yes, sir. Okay, I'm going to preach on the mind of prophets. Thought seriously about changing this series many times. I mean, one thing is Jeff created the graphic for me months ago because I told him I want to do the mind of prophets, and then he left the country. That was a smart thing to do. <clears throat> See, God's going to have his way. He just takes people away, okay? So I'm preaching the mind of prophets, and some of you are like, eh, I want to feel good. Well, you're probably not going to feel real good when I get through, okay? And and you ought to be the preacher. I've been studying this. I've been wrestling with the text now for a week. But I want you to write down this thought. God will judge all people. And he will save his remnant for a future king. That's the summary of Micah. God will judge all people. But he will save the faithful, the remnant, for a future king. And we'll see why as we go through here. So, Israel is lost, divided kingdom, but hope is not. And I think that's a word for you now this morning. Hope is not lost. The book of Colossians says, Jesus Christ is the hope of glory. He's the eternal hope, security for your soul and for mine. And can the church just put your hands together and thank Jesus that he's the security for our nation, for the world, for our life. He's secure. He's hope. And we can miss the mark, as they did here, in all through Scripture. We can miss the mark in our life, and God still loves us. And I don't understand. So why is Michael important? Well, there's a couple of powerful prophecies that come out in this book. And I think you know one of them, that uh, the king, the Messiah, is going to come from a little town. We'll say over there about chapter 5, verse 2. And it's going to come from a town called wait a minute, Bethlehem. Oh, you're right. Is it Christmas? No, not yet. Okay, all right. So we haven't been here that long. And then he also talks about Jesus is going to be the Prince of Peace, and he is the Prince of Peace. So, what's the big idea here? There's judgment. He says, Micah, I want you to tell the people there's judgment coming. But he doesn't stop there. He says, But I want you to know, I'm into restoration. And this morning, I'm thankful that my God is into restoration. He is into judgment, and judgment is. An attribute of God. And a lot of people don't preach about the judgment of God because you don't like get uh, people thrilled when you talk about judgment. I mean, they're just not fun. But if I didn't tell you about the judgments, then shame on me. But then he says, but restoration. And I've just put this outline here, just judgment and deliverance for Israel and Judah as you run through the first three chapters. The next section, future hope in the face of despair. They're despondent, they're discouraged, they're all tore up. The third, then there's the judgment against Israel. And then there's that glorious expectation of restoration. Restoration will come. And that's what Micah is trying to remind us today, that hey, that's God's ultimate plan. See, the people in Micah's day, they cared for themselves and not for God. And I think that could be written yesterday. They cared more for themselves than they did the house of God. They cared more for themselves than they did the oracles and the precepts and the commandments of the Lord. And we have to ask ourselves today, do I care about God's word or do I care about myself more? And I hope you'll answer, well, priority is the Lord Jesus. The priority is the word of God. I hope you'll run there with me. So what do you care about? I mean, how do you apply this? Well, Israel and Judah you know all these nations and injustice and, and, and Micah says you know what there needs to be a call on the land there needs to be a call of the camps and they need to have repentance and you see a common theme through the prophets they eventually get the message out and they go repent turn to God that'll go well for you and sometimes they do sometimes they don't and uh so it's like us we don't always just like decide like hey I'm gonna walk off into the sin or I'm just gonna cut people down and tear them down A lot of times we slowly get there. Maybe we are incredibly deliberate, but God wants to heal. God wants to restore. I I don't know where you need restoration, but look at the very top with me today. Ever wonder how faith fits in an increasingly corrupt and violent society? Then you'll identify with the message of the book. When God seems distant and uninvolved, Michael reminds us that he still cares and he still offers hope for the future for those who choose to remain. For those that will remain faithful to him, God shows himself faithful. Is that a good word, church? But yet you're like, no, I just care about me. My concern, one of my concerns for the church, the church universal, is that we've we've lost our moral compass, we've lost our passion for God's word, and we're drifting, And, and the Bible teaches they did that which was right in their own eyes. Guys, this is the manual. This is God's manual for living. I'm going to give you a contemporary manual in a minute that maybe (coughs) will help you remember that point, but I just wanted to throw it out there today. Problems, moral issues. Let me just say this. Sometimes people go, well, so-and-so is a candidate, and they don't have any morality, but I want to elect them to be a leader. Can I just say time out in the house of God? It matters in personal morality how you legislate and lead in public arenas. Do I have a witness today? I don't want somebody that cannot be faithful to their husband or wife leading and making major decisions and say it doesn't matter. Morality matters to God. You're saying, you're kind of passionate about that. Morality matters to God. I wish all the news channels would come out here and go, This old boy in Alabama, he talks kind of fast and slow, you know, whatever. Hey, Bubba. Like, you ever notice when they interview Alabama? Yeah, Ethel, we were sitting on the porch. And a train come, and it just blew the house off. I'm like, we have educated people in Alabama, and God's house said. I'm so tired of that, like, make us all look like country bumpkins or something, you know? They always find those people. I don't know where they live, you know? I don't know. But judgment is promised. But then he goes on to promise blessing if you'll follow me, if you'll do my way. Guys, I've got a huge text, and I'm trying to kind of do overview, and I want you to go home, and I want you to study Micah this week. I want you to look through it, because I think this word matters. Let's look down here. So, verse 3, chapter 1. Look, the Lord is coming. He leaves his throne in heaven. He tramples the heights of the earth. Oh, the Lord's coming. He's quick to say that. Verse 5. Why is this happening? Because of the rebellion of Jacob. Because of the rebellion of Israel. Oh, he'll... Catcher, I mean, hey, it, it's sinful, it's bad. Where, look what he says down there. Where is the center of idolatry in Judah? In Jerusalem, it's capital. They were into being, they coveted. They were idolatrous people. Sometimes we're like, man, that's, that sounds like us in America right now. <coughs> so I, the Lord, will make the city of Samaria a heap of ruins. The Lord judges Verse 7, all her craved images will be smashed, all her sacred treasure will be burned. These things were bought with the money earned by her prostitution, and they will now be carried away to pay prostitutes, <coughs> to pay prostitutes elsewhere. Therefore I will mourn and lament, and I will walk around. You're saying, man, there's no prophet. And then you move into chapter two. I, I want you to move down to chapter two with me, because I could just stay in chapter one. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. This is amazing. The people of Micah's day, this is what they did. What sorrow awaits you who lie awake at night, thinking up evil plans? You rise at dawn, and you hurry to carry them out, simply because you have the power to do so. In other words, they just were fixated on evil and what all evil they could get into. And they sat there at night meditating on that. And as soon as they hit the ground, they ran to practice sin. And God's like, I'm going to judge that. I don't have time for that. I want to give you a verse. Write down Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. Tremble and do not sin when you are on your beds. Search your hearts and be silent. I don't know about you, but I've learned when I will get still before the Lord, and lay on my bed and ask the Lord to search my heart and see if there be any sinful way within me. He speaks. He shows me the error of my way. He will show you the error of your way. But sometimes, we're like, well, I'm not going to ask God to search my heart. I'm just going to try to think of ways to do evil. And you're going, wow, that's in the Bible? I'm sorry, guys. I'm fighting this call for about three days. And you think it's bad for you, you ought to live in my body. It starts at 1230 and it just goes all night. So, hey, y'all get over it with me, okay? All right, here we go. So he goes on here. And then let's just move on down through here. I could just on and on. In that day, your enemies will make fun of you by singing this song of despair in verse 4. Verse 6, don't say such things. (coughs) The people respond. Don't prophesy like that. Such disasters will never come our way. You know what I learned about the people of Micah? They did not want solid prophetic teaching. And today, in 2015, I'm afraid America, so many do not want the pure, unadulterated word of the living God. They only want their ears to be itched. And God says, Love my word. Do do y'all feel that? That's what it means to follow Christ. I love God, I love his word. I'm passionate about it. He's passionate about me. So, Lord, help us to love Bible teaching. Help us to be into the scriptures. But here in this passage, we see that all kind of crazy things are going on. Look, let's move down here. Let me see verse uh, 8, (coughs) 9. Yet to this very hour, my people rise against me like an enemy. You steal their shirts off their backs of those who trusted you. (coughs) They were ripping off their robes and there was a law. Basically, you could take the robe, but at night you had to give it back because that's how people warmed themselves and they stayed warm to sleep. Making them as ragged as men returning from battle. Verse 9, you've evicted women from their pleasant homes. You forever stripped their children of all that God would give them. There was foreclosures. There was all kinds of things. People were just taking stuff from one another. God, is never ended. When we oppress the poor, when we push down the people. There's not justice in the house. Do you understand, church? And God's like, wait a minute. What, what are they doing here? And then move over to verse 12. There's like a, a camera switch. You know, when you're, you know when you're watching a television show and all of a sudden they change the camera? Like, whoa, where'd that come from? There's a switch. See, prophets do that. Prophets are learning down. They're running down a train of thought. They're going down this line. And all of a sudden, something hits them and they jump. Verse 12. Look at it with me. Someday, O Israel, I will gather you. I will gather the remnant who are left, and I will bring you together like a sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. Yes, your land will again be filled with noisy crowds. Your leader will break out and lead you out of exile, out through the gates of the enemy cities, back to your own land. Your king will lead you. The Lord himself will guide you. Man, this is some hope here that I see. The king will lead us. Just write in your Bible, Jesus. Jesus will lead us. Do you believe this morning that Jesus is triumphant over the church? I do. Do you believe Jesus Christ will lead us? He will if we'll listen, if we'll follow him. So (laughs) there's this powerful thing. I see a principle here. don't Leaders, don't abuse your position. Don't take advantage of others. People in political office, people in church office, people in business office, people in places of authority, don't take advantage of others. Some of you could walk away today and say, what is the principle for me? Don't take advantage of people. It honors God. In Micah, in that day, people were being so crushed and pushed down, and the Lord had something to say about it. You know, misled people lead people into confusion. And God says, let's lead people into a cause, into the cause of the kingdom living that I started with this morning. It's a powerful concept here. So there's all this depravity going on, and it's tough. And and let's move over to chapter 3, judgment against Israel leaders. Verse 4, and then you beg the Lord for help in times of trouble. Do you really expect him to answer after all the evil you've done? He won't even look at you. Did you know when you have sin, when you sin greatly against the Lord, you're blocked off in your fellowship with him? So, man, when we sin, we shouldn't expect the Lord to speak. We shouldn't expect the Lord to bless. We shouldn't expect the Lord to be given guidance because we're going against his commandments. So Micah comes and says, I want you to do the right thing. I want you to be a holy people. I want you to turn from your sin. And, and then he comes all through this book. He goes, but there's a deliverer, the king. He's going to come. And this morning, the king's already come. But you know what I get excited about today? The king will come again. The Lord Jesus will come again for the bride of Christ. And man, you ought to be so thrilled about that. You're just like, you know what? I cannot wait. I'm going to go out on the porch this afternoon and watch. Watch. Now, that would be a little weird if, if, if we had a news report and all the Christians at Christ Community wrapped in sheets and got up on top of the roof and said, come, Lord Jesus. Now, that'd almost sound cultish. We would be weird, okay? But I do want us to have one eye looking up. Oh, Lord, may you come. I mean, how many of you would like for the Deliverer to come because of the things that we have put ourselves in? Some of you are like, oh, not me. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to buy my first car. I want to get out of middle school. I want to get off my tricycle into a bicycle. I mean, you know, we always, or hey, I want to get this. I want to get that. I mean, it's amazing what we can always, we always want one more, you know. But just, just thinking, okay. So two cities here of worship. Judah here in Samaria, <coughs> these worship centers and these, and these people, and they've got all this falseness going on, and, and they've missed the mark, and, and they covet in and, uh, and, and, and the kingdom age. He says, but hey, the kingdom age will come. The millennial reign of Christ will come that we talked about several weeks ago, I think, when I kicked off the series. And he says in one day there will be peace on the earth. There will be peace on the earth. There will be peace. There will be righteousness, and it will reign forever. And righteousness will rule, and it will reign, and it will be in the person of Jesus Christ. That's when peace comes. But let's continue through the text here. I want you to, so we're going through 3 and we're, verse 7, then your seers will be put to shame, your fortune tellers will be disgraced. Verse 8, but it's for me, I am filled with the power of the Spirit of the Lord. Micah goes, I've got God on my side. I am filled with God. I have the power of God. Do you get excited about this? This guy's not like, he's not some wimp going, my name's Micah. I'm just a farmer. And I'm a wuss. No. That would, Anyway, let's keep going. He goes, hey, I'm, I'm filled with the Spirit of God. Look at verse 11. But you rulers, you make decisions based on bribes. See, people were being bribed. They didn't want to hear the truth. They just wanted, people, they just wanted the prophets to tell them good things, that everything would be good, even though it wasn't going to be. And then they wanted to be bribed. And it, says, it sounds like America. And your prophets won't prophesy unless you're paid. See, these people, man, they're not a lot of good. Verse 12. Because of you, Mount Zion, will be plowed like an open field. Jerusalem will be reduced to ruins. And this is God's land. This is what he loves. He loves Jerusalem. We are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as I've told you many times. But there will be a time of peace on the earth. And there's a time of peace right now. It's when you and I commit our life to Jesus Christ and put our peace and our trust and our commitment. And we surrender and we submit to Christ. That is peace, church. If you don't have peace today, who rules in your heart? Simple question. Who rules in your heart? Self. That is why you don't have peace. The world, you don't have peace. You go, I want it to be Jesus. You're moving toward the kingdom. Kingdom living is essential here. I love this. So we follow the Lord for the long haul. We bear fruit. And then, here, keep, keep going with me here. Verse 3, the Lord will meditate. Between, he'll meditate. He won't meditate. He'll mediate. Excuse me. <clears throat> he will mediate between peoples. He will settle disputes between strong nations. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And <clears throat> I've read that over the years. And matter of fact, years ago, I spoke at this guy's funeral, and this was his favorite verse. And I'm a young pastor, and I'm like, huh? This is like your favorite verse? He was a military officer. And basically it means there'll be no more war. There'll be no more violence. There'll be no more Maxwell. There'll be no more gunner. There'll be no more military. There'll be no more military rule or supremacy. There'll be the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are y'all excited about that? All the military are going, yes, could that happen quickly because I've got another assignment and I'd like to move now. And, and you're saying Jesus is coming back. He is in and, and verse 4. And everyone will live in peace and prosperity enjoying their own grapevines and fig trees for there will be nothing to fear. I don't know about you guys. I'm excited when he prophesies that word. There'll be nothing to fear. Because can I tell y'all, I won't tell you specifically. I've got a big fear right here lodged in my heart right now. That I'm battling. You're a pastor. You have fear. Yeah, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I, I know who I am in Christ. I know who I belong to, but I battle a fear. Do you battle fear? Come on, church. Do y'all battle fears? Yeah, you got fears. You got all kind of crazy fears running around. Some of them are self-induced. And here he says there'll be no more. And then you, so I get it. And then verse eight. It's for you, Jerusalem, the citadel of God's people. Your royal might and power will come back to you again, and the kingship will be restored to my precious Jerusalem. Oh, he's going to set it up in the kingdom. It's great. Now let's move to chapter 5 because I'm trying to move around here. In verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem, you're a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from a distant past. You will be one of eternal ages, past, present, and future. You will be one born of the Virgin Mary, and his name shall be Jesus. I I look at that, we love to quote this passage. 700 years before Christ, Micah prophesies this there is one to be the ruler of Israel, of the world. And he's coming. So he's, he, he, so God fulfills his promise. And now we look back as Christ followers. We look back at the cross. We look back at the incarnation and the birth of Christ. And we go, Christ has come. So it's not real hard for us. But for that age, they're like, man, you know, corruption and unethical people and sin and idolatry. And people are coveting everything. And we just kind of fast forward. Do, do you realize that sin has a cycle and we just tend to repeat sin over and over and over through the generations? And Christ died to break that cycle for us. So let's continue. So, so I love that. I, I look through that. And look at verse 5. And he will be the source of peace. Circle that in your Bible. It's talking about Jesus. And Jesus will be the source of your peace. I'm praying today, God, flood my heart, flood my friend's heart with the peace of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. He is our source. It's nothing in this world can give it to you, but only Christ. And when you have right relationship with him, you have abundant peace. And when you're out of fellowship, your peace is forfeited. It can be gained as he has rightful rule. (laughs) Look at verse 13. I'm just moving all the way over to there. I will destroy all your idols and sacred pillars so you will never again worship the work of your own hands. So he's just trying to hammer them here about all these false gods that y'all have erected and put up in the temple. They will be worshiped no more. Only the Lord himself. So that, that's a great word for us. And then I want you to move here. Chapter 6. I want you to move down to verse 8. I could spend an hour on this. And this is, this is a section that I want you to memorize. If there's one verse right now that I want you to memorize this summer, I want you to memorize Micah 6, 8. Because it's really the heart of what I'm going to close with today. Look at it here. Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. But God, what is it right there in the box on your outline today? What does God require from you and I? God requires for you and I to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. In the (coughs) St. Louis Cardinals organization, there's a term they termed years ago. It's called the Cardinal Way. And the Cardinal Way is the playbook for Major League Baseball players. <laughs> Some form or fashion, but for that organization, it's huge. And, you know, they've won all these championships and blah, 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 so they're really good. So what happens is, is, is how you hit how you bunt, how you run, how you do all these things. But when people come in their organization, they read the cardinal way, and this is how it means to perform and work as a St. Louis cardinal. And I'm saying this morning, there's something so much higher than the St. Louis organization. It is the Lord God and his word, and this is the cardinal way to act justly. Does anybody have a witness with me this morning? That's what God wants for us. He wants us to love his word. So the St. Louis or your organization, or your tenets for life, they're the minor leads compared to God's word. And God says, I want you to get in on this. I want you to follow me. <clears throat> but then he goes on to say, I want you to act justly. What does it mean to act justly? Well, it can mean a, a, a number of things. The word justice is used at least 400 times in Scripture. You could do a great Bible study the rest of the summer on the word justice. And, and <clears throat> I love where love and mercy come together for justice at the cross. But that, that's at the end this morning. So this whole justice thing, the oppressed in this world get God's attention. God always runs and he advocates for the poor. I've told you before, I was at 36,000 feet um, several years ago, flying on an airplane, going to Africa with a bunch of pastors on a Compassion International trip. And God spoke to me as clearly as he's ever spoken to me. And he said, Keith Waldrop, I want you to be an advocate for the poor the rest of your ministry, the rest of your days. And he was speaking specifically about Compassion International. For the last 20 years or more, Don and I have supported Compassion International. Our kids support Compassion International. Our church supports Compassion International. Let me go ahead and tell you, Mother's Day 2016, we're having our second Compassion International Sunday. God is interested in the poor and the oppressed. And the church said... I mean, it's just God. God's for them, and God calls us to love them and, and treat them with dignity and honor and justice and mercy and humility, and it's the right thing, and we, and we look at it. And, and it doesn't matter if I'm looking at General Brown. I just made that name up. If I'm looking at General Brown, and he's at Maxwell, and then I look at homeless Harry, I don't know. I'm just making these names up, and I got homeless Harry. God wants me to look at them the same that they both have significance because they're both, they're both made in the image and the value of the Lord God Almighty, and God wants me to homeless Harry. I, I just made this up. I, I want to love homeless Harry just like I do General Brown, but but I'm gonna be honest with you, General Brown's a lot more fun to be around. He smells better. He pays tithes at Christ Community. He helps the church, and he's got a leadership gift. Homeless Harry over here, I don't know, man. He ain't had a bath in a week, and he ain't looking too good. He ain't got all his teeth, and he's constantly asking me for something. And God says, I died for both of them, and they both have dignity and worth at my cross, and you better make sure that you love them the same. Amen? Somebody just went. Whoa, you, that, that was too raw. Let's, let's go to something a little more cheerful. So then he talks about love, mercy. Act justly. Then he says love, mercy. What does it mean to love, mercy? It means we don't get what we deserve. We deserve hell. We deserve condemnation. We deserve damnation. We deserve all that, cra- that horrible stuff. But we get heaven. We get peace. We get joy. We get Christ. I mean, that's, that's love and mercy. Mandela, Nelson Mandela. I understand that he gave his heart to Jesus Christ in a prison cell watching a Billy Graham Uh, evangelistic sermon and he chose mercy and forgiveness and as I went on to read the story of this I've always been intrigued by Nelson Mandela (coughs) he said resentment is like drinking poison and hope the enemy dies but he forgave the judge that sentenced him to all those years in a prison (coughs) there was a prison guard His, his son died And Nelson Mandela, as he was a free man, he came alongside that man, and he forgave that man, and he had mercy on that man, and he walked that man to forgiveness because he chose that forgiveness and mercy was greater than holding on to bitterness and resentment. This morning, it could be that somebody's holding on to bitterness today and resentment, and Christ wants to free you of that. He wants you to give up your bitterness, your hatred, whatever. And then the third, (coughs) then he goes, walk humbly with God. You're on a walk, you're on a journey, and walk with him. Just love him and pursue him and, and take a walk. This week I was over one of my favorite little places called Costco. I see you over there sometimes. <coughs> Every once in a while I slide down there and i got to tell you, it's $3.14, I know it to the penny. I go I say three fourteen. dollars they go, you've had this before. Oh, a few hundred times. I get the big dog with sauerkraut and onions and ketchup and mustard and a drink and a glorious chocolate yogurt. And I went down there the other day, and I had one. Sorry, Don, I forgot to tell you, but I did had one. <coughs> and I'm having that thing. And this guy from across the store goes, Keith! I answered to that because it's my name. I said, okay. He walked over for one hour. He shared with me. He almost died two years ago. His wife, this past year, she almost died. She had a heart attack. She was at UAB, <clears throat> basically dead. And she's, both of them have come back. He's lost about 60 pounds He's kind of dwindling away. He's got Lyme disease and it's attacked every system in his body. And I was sitting there and I was watching him. We were talking. And he just talked about mercy and he talked about walking with God. And he told me something. He said, You know, he said, I've been so sick for the last few years. He said, My wife almost died. I said, I oh, know. We were praying for He said, 42,000 hits on Facebook for when she was going through that. I went, Wow. He says, But what I want to tell you is, he, says, he goes, You know, you, you want to walk humbly with God. He says, but when my wife was there, I didn't leave the hospital for one week. I said, you didn't leave for one week? He goes, I wouldn't leave. I stayed right there. Everybody brought everything I needed. I wouldn't leave. I wouldn't leave. I went, whoa. Now, I got to tell you, I love Donna. She's amazing. I think I would leave just for a little bit, and then come right back. But maybe I wouldn't. But he told me something, and, and it's, it's, it's been challenging. Hey, y'all quit laughing. You go eat too. I've been, I've been thinking about this all week. He said, I told her when I said my vows to her. We're going to do life together, and we're going to live together, and we're going to honor Christ. Death do us part, and we've got a journey, and we're taking a walk. He said, I didn't know if it was the last part of our walk. He said, I wasn't about to leave until she was out of danger. And I started thinking about Micah. Micah says, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. I said, God, that's what you want me to do. You don't want me to be prideful and arrogant. You don't want my friends to be prideful and arrogant. You want us to walk in humility that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a great walk. So <laughs> external activity without inward reality and change is meaningless to the Lord. Christ just wants our hearts. He, didn't, he wants us to give him the heart. He wants us to determine to live for him, to walk humbly with him all the days of our life. Worship team, I, I need you to come. But... I'm praying this morning as, as we look at this old, <coughs> this old prophet. I want to move over to chapter 7, verse 7. As for me, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently for God to save me. <coughs> See, there was, <coughs> excuse me, there was hope there. Verse 14. Oh, Lord, protect your people with your shepherd's staff lead your flock, your special possession. They're leaning into the Lord. They're walking humbly with their God. That's what God wants for us. Verse 18, look at this. This is so powerful. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant? There is none like you, God. Overlooking the sins of the special people, you will stray angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. But look at verse 19. I want you to camp out at verse 19 quickly. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet. You will throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob, long ago. Faithful is the Lord God Almighty now and forever. And God wants ethical living in the house of faith. So you're saying, wow, this little book, man, it's got some stuff in it. I know. And I just kind of scratched the surface. If you want to come back, I'll finish. I'll be lecturing for the next four hours this afternoon if you want to come back. Because I've got enough to do it. Please don't come back because I'm not going to be lecturing this afternoon. But I would if you wanted to. Let's call on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you're a great God. (coughs) Verses 18 through 20, we just read our wonderful confession of faith. Who is a God like you that pardons our sin and iniquity? And you will have compassion on us. Mark says, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? <laughs> the psalmist in 32.5 says, and then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Lord Jesus, today, would you draw near? Would somebody grab the hem of your garment today and say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Pardon me today. Wash away my sin and be my savior and Lord. I want to follow you, Jesus, from this day forward. I give you my heart by faith. I believe the gospel. I receive the gospel. I receive Christ into my life. Cover me. Give me heaven when I die. An abundant life in this life to live. God, thank you for Micah that we can learn from a little prophet. A great big message. And God, when we walk out of here today, help me, help us to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God in the name of Jesus.